You are listening to the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find podcasts and video clips of these lectures online at edcorner.stanford.edu. As you know, uh, but for the newcomers, for the old timers, you know this, but we always have this sheet. This is on the web as well. It has the detailed bio of Jeff uh, uh, Bold. I don't you want to read it to you, you can read it faster than I can tell you, but I do want to point out a couple of things. He's, had, he, he's currently CEO of Shutterfly. Uh, how many people are customers of Shutterfly or use it at all? Okay, you're a pretty healthy number. And um, before that, he spent many years at eBay, and I, I bet you've used eBay in your past. Um, he also you know, had worked at uh, other kinds of internet companies for a, a while, so he has a long history in that uh, industry, and so that's fantastic to have him here to share his wisdom. Um, we also welcome him to Stanford University. He went to Carnegie Mellon and Harvard Business School, but we still love him, like we love all, all uh, uh, people and all speakers. So without further ado, let's uh, welcome Jeff to campus. Jeff? Thanks, sir. Good luck. So now um, I'm having some performance uh, anxiety because I didn't know I was going to be graded at the end. So that box, did you like the speaker or not? Um, uh, all fives, please. So um, it is a pleasure to come in and speak. Um, one of the things that uh, I really enjoy doing as part of my job as CEO is spending time with people, right? Um, I think one of the most important things that leaders do is really about uh, communication and spending time uh, understanding different points of views and then sharing and teaching as well as learning. And so it's always exciting to get out of the work world and uh, come uh, back to the academic uh, environment. And I never leave the office this early, so I didn't realize how much traffic actually is on 101, but um, uh, the economy must be doing pretty well in, in some aspects. So um, Tom asked me to come and talk a little bit about entrepreneurship. And I wanted to start with what is entrepreneurship, right? Anyone want to kind of give me their definition? Am I in the wrong forum? Is this the, uh, <laughs> the non-Euclidean three-dimensional geometry class? So, well, I'll share with you. I, I think entrepreneurship is mostly a state of mind. It's a state of mind about how do you create things that people haven't envisioned before. How do you aggregate the resources, um, motivate people, and then execute against that vision? It doesn't necessarily mean you have to go start your own business. I think the state of mind of entrepreneurship can happen in the largest corporations where I've worked at McDonald's and Citibank and Accenture, and can happen at the smallest of companies where I was employee seven of a company called Raging Bull um, that was founded by three 20-year-old college kids who decided to drop out after they raised a million dollars in funding. And so across that whole gamut, Entrepreneurship is really about the state of mind of creating new products, of creating new markets, creating new ideas, and then creating new businesses and capturing some of the economic rents from uh, that vision and, and the hard work. And so that's kind of my personal definition of entrepreneurship. So let me talk a little bit about um, how I've applied that in my career. And then mostly I want to turn it back into an interactive forum. So feel free to ask me questions while I'm talking um, and then certainly during the Q&A. I think one of the key things is to, um, you know, as you're thinking about uh, leaving the academic uh, setting and going out and pursuing your career goals, is do something that you really love. And so for me, I'm, I'm an extrovert and I'm a people person and I've always been involved in, in this notion of community and it started a long time ago, so um, most of you are too young to remember this, but how many people um, have heard of or remember um, a company called The Well? 
So I was on the well in 1985 on a dumb CRT green terminal on a um, 9600 baud modem going <laughs> connecting with people all over the world that I have never met. So when we talk about social networks, it's really you know community. Things have been around in a long time. Technology is making it easier, better, faster, more interactive. But I was on there until 3, 4 in the morning talking to people about ideas, about politics, about science, about business, about sports, about entertainment. And I got hooked on this notion of being able to create community and connecting with people beyond geographic boundaries. And that led me to Carnegie Mellon, which was one of the four schools of the ARPANET, which was the um, precursor to the internet. And though I was a business and economics major, you couldn't get away from technology and what it was doing and the excitement that created in how to use technology to change markets, to create new products, um, to go where nobody had gone before. And so I got kind of very hooked on this notion of the intersection of business or commerce with that of community. And so when I came out of uh, undergraduate school, I went into consulting and was doing a lot in the retail and financial markets. And I thought that was a good way to kind of get started on grounding of really that strong toolkit of you know, understanding uh, businesses, being able to come up to speed quickly on different um, discourse communities and different markets and be able to add value. What it turned out to be was I really honed my PowerPoint skills. Um, you know, so as a young analyst in a consulting firm, it turned out to be a lot of Excel and a lot of PowerPoint. But th th those are some of the functional skills. But I had this notion of how do you change things? How do you go where no one had gone? And um, this was a time where everyone was using something called Lotus 123. And um, uh, you know, Microsoft wasn't the powerhouse they were. We were using Harvard Graphics, not PowerPoint. It was Lotus, not Excel. And um, the partner, who was you know, five levels above me uh, in the firm, was going to present our largest client the final report after two years of work on this. And so it was coming up in a week, and I was you know, the young person working around the clock working on this thing. And I had heard about this little program called WYSIWYG. Right? And so I kind of took WYSIWYG and Harvard Graphics and took this whole presentation that was in uh, Excel, and I turned it into this big multimedia fanfare. And, um, and that led to us wowing the client, getting lots of work, me getting promoted. And um, it seems like a small step, and it's silly, the things that sometimes get you promoted. But it put me in a position where at 22, I had like 30 people reporting to me. And I was like, oh my god, what do I do? I got like these 40-year-olds working for me. Uh, I don't know what to do. And so quickly by you know, um, uh, you know, necessity, I had to figure out how to set a vision for this team and how to create things. And we went on to do some really interesting work in valuing large-scale um, economic projects for different governments and different insurance and banking companies. And it, it taught me a lot about fact-based decision-making, about problem-solving. It taught me a lot about communication. It taught me a lot about making sure you understand what are the actions for everyone in the group and being able to communicate and lead them through that, regardless of your age or experience set, um, but being able to set a vision. I went on to start a couple of companies um, in the retail space, a flower and gift shop, um, and I learned a lot from that experience. Knowing that you know, three days before Thanksgiving where a lot of your business is, the kid got enough money to buy a stereo so he quits on you. What do you do? Learning how your product was perishable. Right? If you buy too many flowers, you've overbought and you killed margins. If you don't buy enough, you've made your customers unhappy and they don't come back. And so you know, um, like most small businesses, undercapitalized, didn't know as much as I thought I knew. 
um, and went out and really was trying to build this business. And we grew it to about a half a million dollars a year in revenue and about 13 employees. And so that taught me the necessity of being an entrepreneur. But I took those lessons and went to business school and came out of business school and wanted to go into this intersection again of community and commerce and started helping, I uh, was the co-founder of Accenture's Media and Entertainment Strategy Practice. So they had always done work in the um, technology and the process side, but not in the strategy. And most of our clients in the early days were um, in information companies and publishers. So they were on this, uh, their publishers were selling CD-ROMs of information, and they were trying to figure out this thing called the internet was happening. Were people going to buy books anymore? Was content dead? Right? That was all the rage on the New York Times and Business Week and um, the FT was content is dead and, and physical products are dead. Um, and I helped a lot of information services companies like Bloomberg and Walters Clower and Reed Elsevier figure out this thing called the Internet as they made their business models uh, on selling proprietary pipes and this open platform is going to drastically change. And as time went on, the Internet kept catching on more and more and I became the firm's guru on the Internet. And frankly, I was making it up like everyone else was, right? And we were just taking old principles and applying it to this new model where wealth was created by um, clicks, eyeballs, interaction rates, but not really about revenue and profit and free cash flow. And so I rode that bubble up, um, went and jumped to uh, what Red Herring said was the startup of the year. Um, a company called Windstar it grew from uh, $2 billion to $11 billion in market cap in 10 months. Um, and uh, was in charge of their entertainment division, buying up media assets and radio, television, um, and the Internet, and invested in a bunch of early Internet companies. Lesson learned is I lost a lot more money than I made for people. Um, and I think in life, the, the mistakes you make are more important than the successes because it forces you to think. And then a little company called CMGI. How many people remember CMGI from the bubble? Um, they uh, had invested in about 270 Internet companies, everything from GeoCities um, to Lycos to AltaVista, called and said, why don't you come join? And so I went to a little startup, three kids, 20 years old. Uh, they did this as their summer project. Uh, they created an online finance community um, uh, to compete with Motley Fool, Yahoo Finance, and Silicon Investor at the time. And um, we kind of won. I mean, we beat the big guys because we were focused on a singular thing, knowing our customers better, having a vision which was leveling the playing field for the individual investor. Right? So a mission and a vision larger than just making money. It was about how does Joe on Main Street be able to invest with the same information that the big institutions have? How do we bring the cadre of a broad community together to allow for an interaction and exchange of ideas around stock picking to foster a better decision set um, by the individual investor? And we went from zero to five million users in 11 months. And we had billions of page views. And you know, the, you know, everything was going public and rising $100 you know, on the first day of trading back in 1998. And what was really interesting was um, as people were coming together about a shared interest of stocks, they started creating relationships that went way beyond it. And what we found was people were talking about what barbecue should I buy? What did you think about the sports team, you know, the Yankees winning? What do you think about this new bicycle? What do you think about this new cool PDA? And so one of the key things we did was listen to our customers. And that's another key lesson, I think, of success. And they, and, and they said, well, we want to talk about stocks. And on Yahoo, you've got to wade through 25 postings um, before you get anything interesting about the stocks. So we quickly created this little button that said, off topic. So the community would self-police themselves and say, hey, Joe, 
take that off topic. It's not relevant to the discussion about the, you know, Dell as a stock. The second insight we had from our customers was if someone's coming on there and spamming or you're not interested in their comments, we had ability to block this user. And they seem like simple things in today's world if you're, you know, grown up in, in an environment of social networking, but they were clearly pioneering at the time and allowed us to foster community with very limited resources. We spent about $4 million in the whole lifetime of the company when people were raising lots of money and growing. And so part of what um, excited me about that was I was a big day trader. And I went to this company around, um, and I was always interested in the stock market. And I started my career in investment banking and then consulting. And so I had a personal passion about it. I had a passion about community. I had a passion for the financial markets. And I had a passion for this kind of using technology to change paradigms. And so one of the key lessons I would have is go where you have a passion because you're going to spend more time working than you are in any other endeavor um, and you should be excited about it. And I kept that theme up as I was thinking about what are the next things in my career. And so we ended up selling um, Raging Bull um, to Alta Vista for about $250 million. And this was back in the days when Alta Vista had 47% of the search market space and this little company called Google had 1.2%. And... Um, you know, I went to Alta Vista, and at first I was like, is this a place for me? Um, and our mission at Alta Vista, as I ended up becoming the general manager, running the business side outside of engineering, became smart is beautiful, and knowledge is power. And we wanted to use the search engine to unlock this vast information that's being collected around the world and available over this new technology called the Internet to better people's lives. Sounds pretty familiar from the mission in, in Raging Bull, just applied to a broader context. And we thought about it as how do we break down barriers in countries where information isn't as easily accessible? How do we level that playing field for people so that knowledge and people have a quest for information? And so I got pretty excited about growing this thing. And then um, what happened was the markets burst, and everyone said search is a function. It's not a business. It's a function, right? Lycos has one, and Yahoo has one, and Excite has one, and I1 has one, and the other 23 portals. So turn yourselves into a portal was the mandate from our investors. Forget about search. It doesn't matter. And so we all know what the history is. I think Google's market cap at the end of trading today was something around $185 billion, right? And capped out on, uh, on November 2nd at about $240 billion. Um, unlocking the world's information is a pretty big, expansive, uh, and interesting endeavor. I ended up leaving Alta Vista and going to eBay, where eBay just wasn't about commerce. Pierre, who founded the company, is one of the most brilliant nonlinear thinkers I've ever had the pleasure to interact with. And his vision was to create a democratized economy where the mom and pops and the individual artisans and salespeople can compete alongside giants like Walmart and Ford Motor Company. Again, a broader vision than just making money. Um, and I went to eBay, and um, originally I ran the mergers and acquisitions group, thinking about new markets and new products and new marketplaces that we can enter into. And then as part of this notion of entrepreneurship, I went to Meg and said, hey, we got mostly small businesses selling. How do we increase the supply because we had lots of demand? And so I said, um, let's go and create a business-to-consumer group where we go get large companies who have a lot of supply, excess inventory, right? This was 2002, so the bubble burst. You know, Palm was sitting on $500 million of Palm 3s at the time. Um, Walmart had lots of excess inventory. Um, you know, so I went up and signed Home Depot, Walmart, Lexmark, Dell, um, KitchenAid, Williams-Sonoma, a lot of companies to sell their excess inventory. And we grew that business in 10 months from zero to $70 million. 
um, because these um, companies want to just write off the stuff off their books. Their existing method was to open their Rolodex, pick up the phone, fax something to a liquidator, and that was the business. And we were using technology, an efficient marketplace to be able to liquidate these things at a higher return uh, to the inventory owners and um, broadening the appeal to the customers. And then um, I went on to run um, uh, internet marketing and business development, which was creating new ways um, uh, you know, to be able to bring people to eBay. And we were bringing, when I took over the group, Meg said, you know what, it's about a $30 million um, uh, P&L and six people. And I think we got all of the people we're ever going to get on the internet. But see what you can do. We took that uh, from six people. That group is now about 160 and about a $600 million budget. And when I left um, three years ago, um, we were getting about 65,000 new people every single day to sign up for eBay. And we did it because we used technology and we thought out of the box. And we were the uh, first customers of Google AdWords. Right? No one was doing AdWords at that time. And so my experience from AltaVista, my relationships with Larry and Sergey and Omid allowed us to do that. We created the first widget, which widgets are pretty popular today. Right? It was this little thing that we called the editor's kit for this vast affiliate network, again, using the community to sell on our behalf. And it pulled in real time. It read the page. So let's say you're on celebrity.com and you're on a page about um, uh, Jennifer Aniston. It would read that this page is about Jennifer Aniston. It would pull real listings from eBay in real time and create with the picture, the listing, the price, the number of bids, and the ending time. So now our, um, this vast affiliate network didn't have to do any work. They just had to go and deploy this in one line of code on their website. Um, we created a database where no one had really understood direct marketing um, to this length where we could tell you what the search term was, what search engine it came from, what was the average bid on Google, and how should we dynamically change our cost per click in real time based upon what we know about the customer from its cookie, from its transactional information, from overlaying psychographic and demographic information, um, and being able to serve up unique pages in real time. And that proprietary data allowed us to manage a 13 million keyword portfolio in real time. And some of the secrets we got from listening to customers and entrepreneurial um, you know, thinking out of the box was we realized that um, there's a bunch of young people in media buying on Madison Avenue who have to hurry up and spend their um, clients' money at the end of the month. And so they ratchet up the CPCs. Right? And so one of the things we did was we'd ratchet it down, our spends, in the last few days of the months while they were doing things that didn't have the right ROI. We also figured out that people used eBay at work. And so we looked at the lunchtime spikes. And so we actually ramped up our spending on advertising across the entire internet during lunchtime. Um, so that's day parting and month parting. We looked at looking at the um, geocode in the ISP and serving up different listings depending on the proximity to where the shipping was to reduce shipping costs. So we did a lot of unique things that aren't about starting a business, but they were about entrepreneurial thinking um, about how do you apply technology to problems. And the problem is, how do you spend money efficiently to get the right ROI to drive customers? And one of the interesting things about um, AltaVista and eBay was at Carnegie Mellon, Lycos had grown up out of the Carnegie Mellon Labs, and I wrote my senior thesis on search. And I was a big uh, baseball card collector. And I was selling and buying baseball cards on eBay way before I joined. Right? So there's a pattern of using the products, being passionate about it. But I think the best example of that is when a headhunter called me and said, hey, how would you like to come meet Jim Clark, the founder of Netscape and SGI and Healthion, 
um, and uh, about a potential opportunity to be the CEO of Shutterfly. And at first I was like, you know, I'm not looking for a job. I'm pretty happy at eBay. It's kind of printing money. The business is doing really well. But I was my high school and my college yearbook photographer. And my wife and I, we have three little boys who are three, uh, four, and six now. We spent $1,900 on Shutterfly the year before I even joined. And we, we used it as I was stepping back. My wife has a Wharton MBA, and she worked at Bain and was a mom. And we were busy, you know, dual-wage income family uh, with friends and family geographically dispersed across the country. Um, we were using Shutterfly to stay connected to people. We were using it as a, as a creative outlet. My wife was a physical scrapbooker. And I was a photographer, and we were kind of characterizing um, and capturing life's events. And we wanted to share our memories and tell our stories with people who are close to us. And when I looked at Shutterfly, I kind of said, wow, it's a photo finisher. It competes with Kodak, and it competes with Snapfish, and it competes with Walmart, and Costco, and Yahoo. Um, there's nothing really special or different about it. But as I expanded my um, perceptual map about what it could be, about a personal publishing platform, and about a social expression vehicle for helping people to stay connected. Um, and that became interesting to me. I ended up joining um, January of 05 and had been running Shutterfly for a little over three years. And we took the company public five quarters ago. And um, when I first joined, we were about 10 points behind Kodak in market share. And now we've passed them to be the market leader. And we've expanded this notion beyond photo finishing to be really one about personal publishing and social expression. But we're doing it for, um, concentric, uh, for relationships that are closer in. So people ask me, how am I competing with Facebook and Flickr? We're really not trying to. So if you think about these concentric circles, it's you and your immediate family, your close friends, your colleagues, people who you've had shared memories and shared experiences with, and then people who have shared interests and then the internet. And so let me explain a little bit about that, the last two. Um, I have kids, and my um, four-year-old plays soccer. I'm interested in interacting with the other parents on the soccer team because they're taking pictures of my kids scoring a goal. Um, you know, we're having a shared experience together. There are people who I want to have a relationship with. I may only want that relationship during the season. Um, it may not last longer than that because the kids, you know, move on to other teams. But I want to interact with them. I trust them. I want to share my memories with them. I want to grab some of the content that they've captured. Uh, with them. That's where we play. I'm not interested in meeting other parents of soccer playing kids in America or the world. Um, when you get into my targeted demographic, which is the old guy with kids, um, I barely have time to talk to my wife, my best friend, um, or my family. I'm not looking to put a persona out on the internet, see how it rocks, and meet new people. I'm really looking to what tools can help me stay connected in this busy world where right, we're on the cell phone reading the BlackBerry driving uh, at the same time. And so there are other sites out there that are more about this expansive you know, vision of uh, you know, meeting people with shared interests that go beyond any shared relationship. And then there's the entire internet, which are other types of sites as well. We're not trying to compete there. We're trying to compete where 75% of our customers are women. Uh, they tend to be highly educated, high disposable income. They tend to um, not care about technology. It's how does technology make my life easier, faster, better, help me enhance my relationships. So it's not about what's the coolest new gadget. Right? What's the newest widget? What's the sharing paradigm? Um, and it's not about um, voyeurism. Right? So if you think about YouTube, YouTube is a publishing platform, not dissimilar from radio or television, where lots of content goes on, but it's made by a very small um, piece of the total um, viewership. 
and then people view it, and then they monetize it through advertising. Very similar to Flickr, about less than 1% of Flickr users generate more than 95% of the content. So it's few published, many view to different models sponsored by advertising. We're trying to make money for people who want to share their memories. They're going to pay for physical products, photo books, cards, calendars, prints, mugs, mouse pads, all those things. And we generated over $180 million of revenue last year um, in, in doing so, where many of these social sharing sites haven't really made money. So you look at Slide, which is a great widget, right? I'm sure we all use one of their products, Funwall, and, and um, uh, their photo view and stuff. They have 80 million users, but no revenue, right? So as you think about what businesses you want to go into, think about is it a business or is it a product and service? Because products and services, while they'll get, um, you know, some venture capitalists will give you money to go after products and services, um, you know, they don't really scale over time. So are you creating a real business and are you creating... Uh, new ways of doing things that make people's lives easier, better, um, more fun, uh, more interesting, and can you generate uh, revenue from that? Um, so that's kind of um, quickly a little bit about my career. Um, hopefully it spurs some uh, conversation and questions about entrepreneurship is not necessarily starting a company. It's about starting new products, new ways of doing things, processes. It's about um, you know, new markets, and it's about changing the perceptual map on a, on a business like Shutterfly, which was thought of as just four by six prints, and changing it into a broader canvas that's allowing us to go after the greeting card industry, the scrapbooking industry, the photo industry, the photo merchandise industry, the calendar industry, the stationary industry, um, with a front-end um, uh, technology called the web, a back-end uh, technology of manufacturing that we own and run a manufacturing plant, and in between a brand that connects it to uh, together and the brands really over time confer a lot more of the economic rents than uh, just a product or a service. So with that, um, you know, thinking I'm happy to talk about, um, you know, characteristics of success or raising money or how do you pick a board or, um, you know, what do you look for in when you're hiring people, how do you write a business plan, any of the kind of things that interest you guys, I'll throw it back out to you um, to make this a little more interactive. Please. Um, what am I looking for when I hire people? Um, so first of all, I look for functional expertise, right? Engineer needs to know how to code, and a, um, a head of supply chain needs to understand that. But um, way beyond that, first of all, I look for what is the portfolio skills required to be successful? Particularly as an entrepreneur, I think one of the key things is to realize, and I made some of these mistakes uh, earlier in my career, was you don't know everything, and you can't do everything, and you're not good at everything. And so I think it's better to understand what are your strengths and amplify those versus taking what are your weaknesses and trying to make those um, modestly better. Now, there are some things you're going to have to have a minimum capability of, right? Communication is one of those. But if you're not the world's greatest um, um, uh, strategist, don't try to go into a strategy role, right? Amplify um, your capabilities. So I look for someone who has healthy self-awareness about what are their strengths and then I look for how does that person's overall skills fit into the portfolio of skills needed um, for that position. And I believe in the right person with the right skills in the right job at the right time with the right attitude. And you have to have all of those, right? You can have um, the most brilliant um, uh, uh, individual, but if they can't get along with people and the job requires cross-functional collaboration, then it's not going to be successful. So at Shutterfly, we evaluate people on both the what, what they do and, and what they perform and what results they get, but also on the how. How do they achieve those results? Is it consistent with our culture? 
Um, I look for communication skills, both written and oral. You know, in this world of um, uh, email and text messaging, you know, written is, you know, in some ways becoming more interesting. Though I have no idea what these three-letter, um, you know, things that my kids are already texting me is all about. Um, I look for problem-solving skills, particularly under uncertainty and with uh, uh, incomplete information. In fast-paced environments where we grew 51% year over year last year, and we're competing against you know little companies like Yahoo and Kodak and Hewlett-Packard and Walmart, we got to continue to execute really quickly. So you can't have um, paralysis through analysis. They got to be fact-based decisions, but you got to be able to make a decision under uncertainty. I look for someone who um, thinks out of the box and is um, has thought capital and thought leadership. Um, I look for uh, people who are going to fit in. Um, from a culture standpoint. Um, and I look for people who have intellectual curiosity. I don't care what functional um, role you're in, marketing, finance, operations, engineering. I want people who want to tackle really tough problems. They get excited about finding those. But also, I want them to do that in an applied and a pragmatic way. So when we're interviewing, for example, software engineers, one of the questions I try to ferret out um, is, do you want to just work on really cool technology? Is that what gets you excited? And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, or do you want? Do you get excited by the application of your work and the technology and a lot of people adopting it? And I've found in the Valley that engineers fall into one of those two camps. And sometimes they're not sure which camp they fall into, but you could kind of figure that out. And for us, we're not Google Labs or Xerox Park. We're not, you know, just thinking about technology for technology, you know, in a broader kind of scientific way. We're looking for applied. Um, science. So I look for people um, who want to have an impact um, with their um, uh, with their work. I also look for um, uh, people who are going to be able to again deliver that how through the cross-functional. One of the key lessons that I um, you know I think as you age in your career becomes even more and more important is that mostly as you rise in the ranks of uh, organization, the most important skill to have is people skills. And if I had to go back to business school again, or if I was the dean uh, at Harvard Business School, I would make everyone take three or four or five organizational design people um, uh, sociology, psychology classes. Um, you know, if you think about the venture capital world, what's it about? Identifying good talent. What are great businesses? Not the idea. It's about people can execute, right? So it's about identifying talent. It's about conflict resolution. How do I get my idea across? How do I listen to you? How do I take that and synthesize it and make it a better answer? It's about um, motivating people to do more as a collective than they ever thought possible as individuals. So it's about inspiration. It's about interviewing skills. It's about firing. It's about giving feedback. It's all about people skills. I don't care what business you're in. I don't care what function you're in. So um, I look for people who have people skills and uh, want to be, uh, uh, you know, play as a team versus play as an individual. How do you plan on um, kind of protecting your market space? Um, from companies that have both an online presence and a brick and mortar presence, um, like Costco, for example, does photos, um, and Walmart does photos. Um, I assume, um, obviously, your software, your, your ability to for, for users to, to share is, is much more powerful. But um, how do you prevent you know them from eventually you know copycatting and, and other things, and, and possibly being able to provide things for you know faster and cheaper and that sort of thing. Great. So the question was about um, how do you, con if I can paraphrase, how do you continue to innovate and make sure that um, 
you have a sustainable business model as competitors are trying to encroach. And let me apply that um, in the Shutterfly context and then maybe bring in some other experiences. Um, there are very few businesses that are inherently um, uh, unique and have sustainable um, competitive advantage. Right? Over time, things become imitable. People copy it. Toyota figures out how to make a better car than General Motors. Google figures out how to make a better search engine than Alta Vista. Right? Things change over time. And I think great businesses and success, and then I'll talk about how we're doing at Shutterfly, is figure out what you're good at, figure out where you can make money, and focus. And so too often I've been in companies or invested in companies where they tried to be everything to everybody. In fact, I think part of what um, created eBay's slowdown was we just kept putting feature after feature after feature onto the um, main eBay website. Right? There were some people wanted to do auctions and they tended to be more male. There were people who wanted to do fixed price, buy it now. Some people wanted to buy in quantity. Some people wanted um, you know, different experiences and buyers, sellers. And we just kept putting it onto the platform, making it more and more and more complex. And the time to produce new innovations got longer and longer and longer because the code base got larger and larger in the QA and the UE and the complexity of it. And so when I first came to um, Shutterfly, we didn't really have points of differentiation. We didn't have a mission, we didn't have a vision, we didn't have a strategy, we didn't have the right management team, we didn't have the right corporate governance. Um, what we had was um, a bunch of passionate people with the kernel of the right idea that needed to change the perceptual map from being a four by six company, which um, you, know, you can't necessarily win against Walmart over time with their scale, and change that perceptual map. And so we're focused on knowing our demographic, which is, again, 75% females. They tend to have children. They're 25 to 55 years old. And they tend to be what we call the CMO, the chief memory officer of the family. Right? They're the ones responsible um, for capturing and sharing and telling the stories. And so we set out um, on a path of how do we win and how do we differentiate. And we're doing it in a couple of ways. First of all, um, through what we call customer centricity. So unlike all of our competitors, we don't downsample or compress your images. So if you take an uh, image with a 5 megapixel camera, it's about a 1.4 megabyte um, size of the file. We actually upload and take that high-res original. Our competitors will downsample it um, you know, to like on uh, Facebook's like a 200K. Um, so you can't really make enlargements or crop. And if your computer crashes, your original resolution uh, image isn't there. We also don't force delete. So at Snapfish, if you don't come back every six months and purchase, they'll delete your memories. We call them memories. They call them photos. They're people's memories. And there's been uh, Kodak and Snapfish have deleted people's wedding pictures, the birth of their kids, because they changed from Hotmail to Yahoo Mail, and they didn't have a bounce-back service. And there was a big New York Times article about it. We don't force people to register. So you go to Snapfish if you want to share pictures um, of kids at the soccer game. Everyone has to register. Right, so they talk about registered users. We talk about paying customers. Right, so we have a 1-800 phone number as well as live chat plus email. Go try to find the phone number on our competitor sites. Um, we also have 100% satisfaction guarantee. So we say we're going to be the premium player. And to do that, you've got to deliver a premium service and experience. Um, that costs more, but you could charge more for doing that. We also, in talking to our customers, they're fashion forward. They want to stand out from the crowd, and so they care about designs. So we have over 60 million combinations of fonts, layouts, backgrounds, designs, and book sizes. 
Um, and so, um, you know, we're trying to diversify. Now, we don't overwhelm and tell our customers we have 60 million because they'd be overwhelmed, but we allow for progressive discovery based upon us knowing something about them and them telling us something more about them. Um, we've created new form factors by owning manufacturing. We're the only ones in the industry to own manufacturing. And when I first got there, I said, hey, we've got to get this manufacturing off the books. That's called hard assets. I've come from six internet companies where you don't own any assets and your return on equity and your return on assets are even better. And we went out and we talked to people and everyone was willing to outsource for us. They didn't have the quality. They didn't have the customer centricity. They didn't have the innovation. And they couldn't provide the service levels that I thought was important to support our premium brand. So we said, let's take manufacturing and turn it into a strategic weapon. So we have the lowest cost in the industry because we own manufacturing. There's no middleman. I went out and hired a bunch of PhD scientists in image science, and we hired away people from Xerox and from HP, the people who make the machines we use. right? And we've driven the cost down where we're the lowest cost producer in the industry. We're also the premium player, so we have the highest prices. So we make a profit between those two, where our competitors, the best to our knowledge, have never made a profit and we've been profitable since 2003. The other thing is um, focus on innovation. We've been the first in the market with many things. We launched on December 11th in 1999, and there's been over 1,000 venture-backed companies in this space, some from folks like Kleiner and Sutter Hill and Sequoia and um, name it, um, but they've come and gone because they haven't created a business model. So we were the first to market. We were the first with different sharing paradigms. We were the first with different form factors. We were the first with um, going to uh, you know, changing the user experience to use drag and drop and Ajax and making the user environment uh, more friendly. And so, um, and it, customer centricity, quality, design sensibility, innovation, um, I think those are some of the key ways that we continue to compete. Now, parts of the business is an arms race. For example, the 4x6 print. You could get a 4x6 print on your home printer, which is pretty good. Not as great as what we do or if you go to in-store. Um, it's a little more expensive, um, the quality's not as good, uh, it's time consuming, but you can't really win on the quality of a 4x6 print. You could lose. And so we see that as kind of um, parity, and the industry grew about 15% last year on 4x6 prints, and even though we had the highest price by about 40%, we grew 34% our print business. And it's because we wrapped it into that customer-centric quality. So we use cardboard um, packaging. Um, we then wrap it again. Our competitors are using paper and saving on shipping and stuff. So we've said we're going to be the Nordstrom's in the industry. Snapfish has come out and said we're going to be the Walmart. And Kodak's kind of stuck in the middle, in the middle like Macy's, you know, servicing a broader range of customers, selling a large SKU set, and not really having a unique tone. Um, so um, the brand that we're building through all those touch points is the fifth way we're differentiating ourselves because it's an arms race. People will add the same designs. They'll copy our formats. They'll copy our form factors. They'll copy our new features and functionality. But we're constantly innovating. And the way we do it is by involving the customers into the design process um, and, and doing iterative feedbacks. And what's important, I think, also as an entrepreneur is you've got to do research but don't go build what your customers tell you what they want. Because often they don't have an expansive enough vision to understand where the market's going three years from now. That doesn't mean not to do in-home studies and um, usability labs and ethnographic stuff. All that is really important. But too often I've seen large companies kill ideas because, oh, the market research says no one wants that. And they won't pay for it. I've never sat in a focus group where if you asked, will you pay more, customers you want to freely pay more. Right? So as part of being entrepreneurial, you've got to say, okay, I've taken all these facts in. 
now where do I think that market is going and getting there before anyone else does. Um, on the bricks and clicks combination, we went out and done partnership with Target. So we offer our customers for those use occasions in which they need to pick up prints in an hour, um, we have a relationship with Target. Why Target? They had a shared um, vision, right? Expect more, pay less. Um, they wanted a better uh, experience, a higher end experience than Walmart. They're about design, they're about selling brands, they're about customer centricity, and their demographic is primarily women who are a little more affluent than Walmart's, and so Target's been a great partner for us in that way. Um, the other thing is when we went out and did the research, 96% of people said they would like pickup at retail. Um, but as an industry, only 7% use it. So it's kind of like saying, would you like anti-lock brakes on the car? Well, sure, if you're going to give it to me, right, I'll take it. Um, but since you could see your picture today on the camera, or the capture device, and you can see it on your screen, there, that urgency to get it in that next hour, um, because when it was in film, you took you know, 24 or 36 pictures, and you know if you took any good ones, you had to go develop them all, and so there was a sense of excitement. You kind of get that, um, that afterglow of excitement right there on the computer screen, and so you don't need it very frequently in, in, in an hour. But it's uh, part of that customer-centric approach, giving our customers choice. Please. Um, you mentioned that you didn't necessarily think that to be an entrepreneur, it's to, to start a new business, but to do a new way, of, or to do business in a different way. So I'm curious to find out what you and, and Shutterfly is doing to, um, I wrote my question down, to either internally or working with your partners to keep a more sustainable business, given that, um, especially now in 2008, we're always talking about sustainability and saving and protecting our Earth. Um. So I think the question is about, uh, I think there were two questions in there. One is about how do you keep innovation going, right, so that you're staying ahead of people and you're creating a sustainable business model. And then how are you incorporating um, broader societal trends in, in this, you know, uh, this healthy movement that's, you know, the groundswell of being green? Did I capture that right? Yeah, it was, it's just mostly because I know you mentioned that Shutterfly is mostly focused on calendars and not, not necessarily prints, but calendars, photo books, greeting cards, everything that is very paper-centric. Okay. So what Shutterfly is doing to either help minimize paper waste or just to basically be a more sustainable business. Okay, thank you. So how is Shutterfly, uh, because we're, the way we make money today is physical producing and we're a printer, right? We're using paper and ink, so how are we thinking about sustainability and environmental? You know, one of the interesting things is, let me start on the business side and then I'll go to the environmental side is, um, you know, going back 20 years ago, people were talking about um, two phenomenons. One was the paperless society. And if you look at HP's earnings, they're selling more ink than they ever have. And by the way, I do think it's a vast conspiracy. How many people have ever printed an internet, um, you know, gone to a page on the internet and hit print and you get that second page that only has the header? and there's nothing on that? Okay, I think that's a vast conspiracy by the print uh, industry to sell more ink and paper. So I would start there because that's about a 40% reduction. But the, um, the paperless society has never really come about. In fact, um, with the access to information and the reduction in cost of personal printing, right, home uh, printers, um, people are printing more and more. And, um, you know, so I think there's this notion of, you know, you know, printing is just happening more. And so people go, oh, you know, I was sitting with a... Um, uh, a 27-year-old portfolio manager at one of the largest um, mutual funds, and he says, you have the stupidest business model I've ever seen. I go, I don't print. I take picture on my cell phone, and then you know, I look at it and I delete it, so you're going to be out of business in two years. I said, well, this is going to be a short meeting, isn't it? And um, 
And I said, hey, here's something I know. First of all, uh, I said, my guess is you're in your mid-20s. He said, yeah, I'm 27. I said, well, I know you're going to get older. And if you're lucky, you'll date, you'll get engaged, you'll have a wedding, you'll have children. <laughs> you'll move out of your apartment, buy a home. You and your wife will want to decorate your home. And what are you going to want to decorate it with? Your memories. You're not going to want to anymore put up that picture of, uh, you know, the rock band um, or, you know, that, that, that supermodel. You're going to want to adorn your home with your memories and tell your stories. And then something's going to happen. You're going to realize your grandparents, your parents are going to run your life, right? You have to give them a calendar of the kid's first, uh, you know, uh, poop and his first walk and his first talk and his first stuff. And so we have a really good business model. So I'll come back in four years when you kind of get it and want to invest in it, right? And so that doesn't address yet the environmental, but I believe there's a sustainable business model. But we're also not being ostriches and sticking our head in the sand and saying, okay, you know, the world around us isn't changing. So we were on the first, a couple of years ago, we created something called Shutterfly Collections. So we give away to our customers two free URLs. So for example, I have housingbold.shutterfly.com. And it's an environment that's password protected. And I, my immediate family and friends have it. And it's a place where we could combine blogging with storing our pictures so we could look at each other's images. So one of the things we do is vast amount of sharing, hundreds and hundreds of millions, um, you know, and billions and billions of images are stored with us and hundreds of millions are shared every year. And so we're cutting down in this notion of using technology where you could take 500 pictures on your 8 gigabyte um, card today and zoom in on the 40 or 50 you really like and edit and only have to print the 40 or 50 you like versus in the old days again you would have to you know drop off a roll of film and um, print every single one of those so we're allowing greater choice in the old days also you had to get in your car drive to retail use up gas buy a roll of film come back to the store use up gas drop it off come back a third occasion pick up your prints now the retailers love that because they filled your cart with a bunch of sundries you didn't really need uh, on those three occasions. But just the notion that we do mail order delivery to the home or to the office cuts down on a lot of that transport. And things like our electronic sharing and our collections and our new gallery where people could post their projects up online and you could share with each other and you could re um, inspire each other's ideas. There's a lot of ways in which we're innovating to stay ahead. From a corporate citizenship and from green and from um, thinking about how do we reduce the waste that we create, um, one of the things is we reclaim all of the silver and the chemicals that we use in the process to make prints. And um, so, you know, as commodity prices have been rising, that's pretty good for us because we just recycle um, those items. We also have been working both because there's business benefits from cutting down on the amount of waste um, uh, in terms of how big of uh, print do you use before you cut around it. How do you reduce errors in the manufacturing processes, the technology, the people training? So we've been uh, on a jihad to kind of reduce the amount of scrap um, that's generated in our business. One, because it's good business. It saves us on margins. But two, it's just good for the environment. Other things we've done is, uh, you know, 470-person company, um, you know, We've given out, I realized we were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars giving people free drinks during the day. And so now we've given out Nalgene bottles and asked people to refill their water, right? We're doing recycling. Um, we're going back and um, looking at uh, and using certain recycled products in our packaging instead of, you know, original bleached um, uh, paper. So there are things we're doing. Again, it's just good for the environment. It's good because of our mission and, and is to make the world a better place by helping people share life's joy. And part of the Shutterfly Foundation, the way we give back and focused on the environment, children, and education. Um, 
but it, it's about innovation. It's about thinking out of the box again and, and finding that right balance as a for-profit business that are good things for the environment, good for our community of um, customers and employees, and good for the environment. Uh, so just uh, sort of touching on that, I'm sure from your point of view, you guys are looking at very closely the digital picture frames. Um, do you see that ever getting mass adoption? Is there some tipping point there in your mind? Do you just ignore it today? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so the question is digital picture frames where you either stick in a flash memory card and you can see your images in the frame or some of them are wire bound or wireless today that you're able to pump your images and it creates a uh, more dynamic um, uh, you know, um, way to view more of your memories. We've been looking at this industry for years and years, and there's a leader in the industry early on. They came to us about 18 months ago. They were going bankrupt. They were the biggest player. It was kind of before that tipping point of scale. Um, we're agnostic to the capture device. I don't care if it's a Canon camera or it's a Sony camera or a Nikon. I don't care if it's your cell phone or it's a digital SLR, it's a point of shoot, or it's an old 35-millimeter camera. Um, we're agnostic to how people capture it. We believe that the more capturing that's happening, the more opportunities for people to tell their stories. And if we provide the ease of use and the, and the creative assets and the inspiration, people will tell their stories in more and more interesting ways and across more and more products. Um, and, and what we've looked at is we have studied the digital frame thing. I believe that that's a, um, what I'll call a um, bridge technology. Because if you come into my house, um, for example, my wife works out, we have a Stairmaster at home, and um, we have a small plasma screen TV. And what I run is Shutterfly Studio, which is our free software, competes with Adobe Elements and Google Picasa. And um, I have about 96,000 pictures on, on the um, uh, shared drive at home. And so while she's working out, instead of watching the reruns of Desperate Housewives, she's watching our kids' pictures. And so it's on a big screen TV. could easily be that frame, but today the frames aren't of great quality. You see the wire there. They're fixed, um, right? So I pump it over on a home network on any different screen, a computer screen, our plasma TV. could be a picture frame. Um, so I think it's a bridge technology because as um, you, know, you have this convergence of different screens and content with the PC becoming a little broader, um, uh, we, you know, we're looking at the market, but it's a consumer electronic if you look at the margins in consumer electronics, they range from plus 5% to minus, you know, 15%. And, you know, if you look at Circuit City, um, you know, all of their profit, Best Buy and Circuit City, primarily make their from services. They give away the electronics, and they make it on the extended warranties and the geek squad and the in-home service. And so as Shutterfly, we don't have a um, core competency in that consumer electronics. People have approached us about licensing our name to be on those frames and, and creating, you know, um, uh, good uh, brand uh, extension onto it, but I'm not sure it's something that's core to us. And I don't see it as a threat to our business. I think as people consume their memories more and more, we're going to become more and more relevant and have greater daily consideration. Check one, one more question. Great. Thanks, Tom. Please. Can you talk a little bit about some lessons you've learned early on in your career from failures yeah. um, that really helped you be a successful entrepreneur and now CEO? Great question is, Lessons early from a career to be a successful business person and CEO and entrepreneur. And um, uh, so let me, uh, let me answer a couple uh, parts of that. First is, here are some uh, pieces of advice um, for being successful uh, in any business. First is, have what I call a rabbi. And it doesn't need to be the CEO or senior executive. Have someone in the organization who has a propensity for mentorship who wants to see you succeed, either because he or she's going to succeed as you succeed, or because they have that inclination to do so. 
And I don't believe that there's anything really truly um, uh, unselfish. There's this notion I call selfish unselfishness, right? So when you go to a um, food bank and you serve turkey dinners on Thanksgiving, you're helping people. And that's unselfish, but you're gaining satisfaction, and that's selfish. And right, and so if you play on that symbiotic uh, relationship, find someone who has enough distance from you in terms of career experience and level that they're willing to mentor you and won't be threatened. So have a rabbi. Um, I think the second thing is do what interests you, right? If you really love consumer brands and you're a retailer and you go to a semiconductor fab, you're going to be bored, right? So do what really interests you. Um, the third thing is go where the money is made in the company. So if it's a sales-driven organization, go into the sales group, right? Understand where the money is made. Is it through the services? Is it the products? Is it a particular product line? Is it through new products or not product, right? So go where the money is made. Um, the next is solve your boss's and your boss's boss's problem proactively. So you're going to be given a set of things to do and think about how they relate to the greater problem that people are trying to solve. <laughs> And then be proactive to go above and beyond what is asked of you to solve your boss and your boss's, boss's problem. Um, the next thing, I think, is go where there's tremendous growth or a complete turnaround. Because those environments create great opportunity for accelerated progression in one's career. If you're in an industry that's grown 6%, it's going to be hard um, because people above you aren't going to be moving up. They're, if it's characterized by 6% growth, it's unlikely it's an innovative industry and market. So go where there's tremendous growth or disruption or disintermediation or a complete turnaround um, because that's an opportunity, particularly at a young uh, age. Um, don't care about title, particularly in your early stages of your career. Too often I interview people and they're haggling over, is it a senior director or a director title? Be a sponge. Figure out where you want to be, have a plan where you want to be, you know, three, five, ten years, right? And figure out what are the skills and the opportunities that you need to get there and be a sponge. Go around people where you can learn from. Um, go in a culture that you feel like you could fit in. If you're about openness and teamwork and you go into a hero-driven or a cowboy-driven culture, you're not going to succeed. The politics will crush you and vice versa. So um, find a culture uh, that fits you. And then um, realize that um, success is driven by putting yourself in the way of opportunity enough times that you get lucky, right? So all of you, by definition, are smart. You wouldn't be admitted to Stanford, right? What's going to distinguish you, um, right, because I bet you 90% of you were in the top 10% of your um, uh, high schools, but only 10% of you are going to be in the top 10%, right, of Stanford. What's going to distinguish success is are you going to work harder than other people? Are you going to be proactive? Are you going to get out of the way of your ego? Um, are you going to take chances? And when opportunity does knock, open the door. And then also realize that um, your smarts is the ante, and luck is really what rings the cash register. Um, so those are the kind of hallmarks of what I think is success. Probably the biz biggest mistakes I made early in my career, and I think a lot of first-time managers uh, make this, is not delegating effectively. Right? You, you, you want to do a good job. You kind of like to be in control. And you just go and do it instead of building your team up. And success is really not how smart you are, but how can you get people to do what you want. And you don't have to be the smartest person to do that. So delegate effectively. Build great teams. Um, there are times, particularly early in my career, where I, I let my own ego and my ambition get in the way of my own success. So step back. Um, find people who are going to tell it to you like it is. Right? When you're not wearing any clothes, people are going to say, you know what, I want to let you know this is what it's going to take to succeed, and let me help you get there. 
Um, and then also realize it's hard when you're in any particular kind of period in life is it's not about the money because every study you could read is money doesn't drive happiness, right? And that life is really short. Um, if we're lucky, we'll live into our 80s and 90s, but um, too often life uh, ends before that. And so make sure you're creating balance in life, um, having good um, friends, good family, um, uh, you know, spirituality, and then also feeling good about what you're doing every day. Um, and that's hard, right, because you're all ambitious and hardworking, um, but make sure you find time for the balance in life. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you.